I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Hey, Jonathan. What's up, Seth? Not much. Excited to be here. Me too. It's pouring here. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it's like there. It's actually pretty sunny today. It's it's gotten a lot cooler. We had a few days where it was like, crap, did we miss spring? It just went right to summer, like in the 90s and humid. But then it we had a big storm, and it's cooled down since then to like the 60s and 70s, just like slightly cooler than average spring weather. And other than the pollen that's been attacking everyone's eyes, it's been pretty delightful. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I get the pollen part. It's like, my car is usually blue, but it is bright green right now. <laughs> it's a strange color. Yeah. Like, after after one storm, the first rain after the pollen started, our neighbor has, we had put their trash can in like the gutter on the side of the road. And it apparently it stopped enough of the water running down that it like kept splashing up. So there's just like just this big splash of bright yellow all over his trash can it looked like someone had vaporized a minion like right there (laughs) (laughs) it was a very strange day (laughs) that was not where i thought the description was going (laughs) okay here's another question for you okay what would you do in this particular situation would you want to add a language to your repertoire, but you get to decide what language, or add ten languages to your repertoire, but they're just at random? That's a that's a great question, because I think one of the greatest deficiencies of the American education system <laughs> is how limited our language education is, because of how great we think we are, or whatever. I think I would actually go with the 10 the ten for 1 special just because even if I can only speak mostly like really obscure languages or dialects from certain parts of the world, I feel like my odds are okay maybe to get like one, one. good one. <laughs> that was my rationale too. I was like, I'm going to play the odds. <laughs> But I, I am stuck, though, on what I would pick if I had to pick a different one. I think I'm between Spanish, which I like know very little of, but know some, or Mandarin. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking Mandarin. Such a large population of people. And I just think it's difficult for native English speakers because it's so different. Yeah, any of any of the tonal languages, I just think would be yeah. 
those are the ones that I hope I would get in my 10 language <laughs> lottery or just like the ones that would be hardest to learn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, get, you get nine tonal and like one romance. And you're right. Like, oh, I'm set now. <laughs> Dude, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Isn't it crazy though that we call English English with how different different it's spoken in like the UK and Canada and Pennsylvania versus Virginia and New York versus LA. Like, how do we get to call that one language? That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. Man, I'm... two summers ago, Patty and I went to New England and we were just outside of Boston. I'm like, sometimes I honestly didn't know what they were saying to me. I was just like, I'd look at her and be like, I don't know what they said. She'd like, I'm... and she'd have to like translate because it's, and that Boston accent's non-rhotic so they don't pronounce the r's that's what them that's what that means so it's like some of the stuff you're just like wait what did he say like somebody wanted a beer we were at this restaurant and he goes i want a beer and i was like what does he want patty's like he wants a beer and i was like oh why were, okay. wait why were you taking orders at a restaurant on vacation i wasn't i was listening <laughs> i was listening to what the guy was ordering it wasn't Oh man. Okay. Well, should I try to should I try to read today's scripture in a Boston accent? Is that what you want? I'm not going to. Go for it. No, okay. no way. <laughs> I will I I will just go ahead and read the passage. Okay. So th- That's good. That's good. So this is Acts chapter two, verses one through twelve from the message. When the feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. And then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. When they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then when they heard, one after another, their own mother tongues being spoken, they were blown away. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on and kept saying, aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, immigrants from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs. They're speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of any of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What's going on here? Well, I waded my way through those words. I'm really glad I decided not to try to say Phrygia and Pamphylia in a Boston accent. <laughs> Phrygia and Pamphylia. All I'm doing is just... That was good. I'm just, that was pretty I'm good. I'm just yelling it. That's all that it is. <laughs> if, there aren't any R, if there aren't any R's at the end of it, it's just yelling. <laughs> but before that's, I get... That's pretty true. Before I anger too many more of our listeners from the greater Boston region... Why'd you go with a message for our passage today? The better known a passage is, the crazier the translation in the message 
also is. So I thought that this might might help us to hear this passage a little bit differently. And in this instance, I don't think Eugene Peterson, the translator, does anything that's too outrageous with it. But I, my hope was at least that it was slightly jarring, just enough to get us to hear the passage anew. So with that, what stuck out to you? So I have to admit, I'm trying to set aside some prior knowledge. I've been in Acts a lot lately. I've been leading a, just finished leading a church-wide study on the book of Acts for a few weeks. And so I've got some things in mind. But one of the things that came from that, that really stood out in this reading, was the language of mother tongues that, that came through. Because it doesn't, it doesn't always come through in other translations that this is the idea behind what they're speaking presumably for the most part the jews in jerusalem even though they were from all over the world had some ability to communicate with one another that there was some sort of shared connecting point and so there is great diversity being shown in what's going on but the fact that it's their mother tongues it's not just a language that they could understand but a language that is connected to their heritage their childhood there's something profound about that level of openness in the work of the Spirit, especially for that to be happening in Jerusalem at the cultural center of what it meant to be Jewish. So that really stands out to me. And I don't know, I'm not, I'm not being very good at reacting to the text as I hear it, but that's just been an idea that stuck with me and the fact that the language of mother tongues is actually used here to describe the languages. I think that's worth highlighting. I wonder how these languages would hit you if you hadn't heard them for a long time. Like if you lived in Jerusalem yeah. for, for a while and like you, like you just weren't used to hearing the language from your hometown. Like if if you move to York, Pennsylvania, but you're originally from Boston, mm. and then like somebody starts speaking with their Boston accent, you're at the bar and someone else order, orders a beer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're like, oh, what was that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be both surprising and and also like like some sort of homecoming almost. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting just to like to think about what that would be like that's an interesting point too that he used the word mother tongue i like i like how he he uses that i also love his language that because the there's this sound of a strong wind a gale force and then he says the people hear their mother tongues and they're blown away i thought that was pretty clever <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. That's like, great. Ah. There's the literal wind and the metaphorical wind. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was smart. Excellent. Oh, that's so good. This is this is such a powerful story, appropriate for an episode released on the weekend of Pentecost Sunday, of course. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I also love where the selection that. I don't know if you made this choice or if the lectionary made this choice, but that the selection ended with everyone just being real confused. <laughs> I I cut down 
this passage just a little bit because it, in the lectionary, the assigned passage is pretty long. Yeah. So I just wanted to, to trim some of it to make our conversation a little bit easier. It's what comes after this is these disciples get accused of being drunk. And then Peter has a long speech where he quotes from Joel. So I was like, okay, yeah. we probably don't need the long Joel speech. The, the we could have talked about them getting the accusation of, being of them drunk. being yeah i was gonna say the accusation of them being drunk is hilarious because it prompts one of my favorite verses in all of scripture which is acts 2 chapter 15 just a few verses after where we ended where peter says these men cannot be drunk as you suppose for it's only the third hour of the day which essentially means it's 9 a.m and so it's like i'm not saying they couldn't be drunk but it's just too early for that not exactly. not because something else is going on, but just because of the time of day it is, which I just think is hilarious. But yeah, this I mean, this is the moment though that all that stuff that comes afterwards, all of Peter's long sermon, is trying to explain and make sense of. Exactly, this is what makes people accuse them of being drunk. Mm-hmm. Like they hear all these all these voices, and I mean, this is my assumption. That, like, you might hear the voice in your mother tongue, but do you also hear all the other people speaking in theirs? Right. Like, and and that, would, of course, would make you think, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Or is it, like, isn't it on the good place where they're all hearing everything in their own language, but everyone can understand it in their own, too? Like, there's... Yeah. To each person in the good place, you know, they might be speaking French or English, but... They just hear everything in their own language too. That's that's just what you know. I wonder if it's like that. Also, I love yeah, the Good Place. Like Great show. That's like at the UN. That's how it works. Someone speaks and everyone wears headphones, and then it gets translated into everyone's native language, like in as close to real time. Yeah, that's crazy. Everyone like listens. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, it might be like that too. Everyone's like, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Yeah. Listen to headset. Now I understand. <laughs> okay, exactly. That's God. Can you imagine? Like. Oh, I just can't imagine the business of the UN trying to try how long that takes for all that to happen. That's crazy. I know. Yeah, is that wild? Well, it's okay that you've been studying this passage lately. It's so hard to to separate what we've all, what we already know for, about a text, especially the more recently we've seen it or encountered it. So with that, what else either comes from the passage today or like from your own reflection on it? Or what what were some of the things that you talked about in the Bible study that you did with, with your church that people raised that you thought was meaningful? The one thing that really came up for us is actually, again, related to the end of the passage we read, that... This wasn't something that was, like, weird and you just, like, huh, that's strange and kept going about your day. You know, this was something that was really disruptive, but it was also really thought-provoking. And the people who experienced it needed understand needed to understand it. And we and we talked about that. Like, the, the work of the Spirit is something that kind of stops you, stops you in your tracks and like demands further attention that was that was one thing and that came up to me again too it was like they could have easily just said 
oh, that's strange. Or what a, what a mess. I'm running away from here. But no, they're <laughs> trying every possible solution, even just saying, oh, they're drunk. I think that's the closest thing that you get to just like trying to move away from it. Uh, <laughs> but true. Yeah. But they're like, they're there and apparently you're sticking around for peter to peter to preach to him too so yeah that's interesting to think about the way that this the spirits movement kind of prompts us to do theology if i could say that way like even if it's not like what i would think of as like theology proper right like sure why open the book and i like answer the (laughs) questions and like write a dissertation yeah right but just in general like the spirits movement always makes us reflect on who God is and what God's doing in our lives and in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that this passage ends here because I also think what's going on here is like our fundamental question yeah. that we're answering and like we're doing it with them. Right. One thing that strikes me is that there's a tradition, a rumor, I don't know what word to use, that Pentecost is the beginning of the church. Like, this is when the actual church begins. I mean, I just, I don't know how to say no to that, but it seems like the church is already there when this all happens. I don't know. I'm pushing back against tradition. Yeah. but No, I think I think that's a, a reasonable question. And that's the other theme that as we are studying Acts, you know, we're talking about the church's birth narratives, you know, like... And the comparison I make was like, think about, especially since Luke and Acts are connected, think about Luke 1 and 2 versus Acts 1 and 2. You have the birth narratives and backstory of Jesus and then the birth narratives and backstory of the church. And I think I think to some extent I, I could agree with you. I think the church is like starting to rise up from the ashes when Jesus is around and in the resurrection period especially. I don't think the church can do what the church is called to do without Pentecost, though, without the Spirit arriving in this way. I think that's significant, at least in the Book of Acts, um, if not, if not, you know, for the church as a whole too. But um, yeah, I, I I hear you though. I think <laughs> it's it can just be easy to be like, see, look. Here's point A, and let's go from there. And it's it's yeah. so rarely that clean cut and simple. Thanks for half agreeing with me, but I also have, I also am in full agreement with you that the church couldn't do what it does or be what it is without this this defining moment in Pentecost. To clarify my point, I would just say like Acts is is a story of a church that's that's grappling with what its structures and mission is not necessarily like the founding of sure of a church yeah it's it's discovering who they are and who they're going to be yeah exactly and yeah i don't know if you heard me a minute ago but i was like maybe it's not the birth narrative maybe it's the puberty narrative of the church (laughs) i think that yeah that's a that's about how i'm thinking of it like I don't want to call yeah. it that, but maybe we should because then we can normalize maybe. like normalize bodies pe- <laughs> and people. Yeah. Exactly. No, I like that. Well, what were you thinking for this passage with application then? I was thinking primarily about how we get this list of names that you did such a great job reading for us. 
And I was thinking about how the church in its earliest expression, one of its earliest expressions, like it's such a diverse community. And if that also shouldn't inform us about what the church should look like now mm. and what the church will ultimately look like kind of at the end. Yeah, so I guess I just wondered like if this, I mean, if this isn't a model, the diversity that we see at Pentecost, if that isn't a model of the church historically and theologically and eschatologically. And I'm not just thinking about, I'm thinking about all kinds of different types of diversity too. Yeah. Well, it's hard for me not to connect this passage to other passages in Acts, um, like Acts 15, where at the Jerusalem Council, they essentially decide to be Christian, you do not need to be Jewish. And it feels like that decision in many ways is rooted in Pentecost. That mm-hmm. like yeah. being part of the Jewish faith does mean that both culturally and religiously, you're kind of swept up into Judaism when you become part of it. But there are clearly Jews who are identifying in that way that also have such a wide variety of backgrounds, a wide variety of mother tongues or native languages, and starting to kind of break down the barrier of there needing to be some sort of cultural test, purity test of some kind, to be eligible to hear God's mighty work spoken in your own language, you know? And, and I mean that both in the literal sense of this passage, but also thinking of more more figuratively of like being able to be, I keep using this language, but I'm really into it lately, being swept up in what the spirit is doing, the new thing that God is up to in the world. We all have that opportunity now. And thank goodness, because you and I wouldn't be part of this if it weren't for this level of inclusion. As much as we, we've come from traditions that have tried to whitewash and and like colonialize these stories, like we we are outsiders to the church at this stage. You know, this is still a Jewish movement. Thank goodness that the spirit was up to something new. Because otherwise, I don't know what my life would be like. I love how you read this perspective from that of the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites and the visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene. <laughs> And immigrants from Rome, both Jews <laughs> and proselytes, and even Greens and Arabs. Right? Like, and we've talked about this a bunch of times, but the, the temptation is always to slip into the dominant position in the narrative. Yeah. Right? Like, to be like, oh, well, of course, I I would be one of the people who who's possessed by the spirit. <laughs> but, like, but that's probably not true. Like, we yeah. would be the outsiders. Right? Yeah, I like how you, how you took that little turn. Yeah, it's so helpful to do that, to, like, decenter it. Yeah, and the fact that that, that statement of inclusion is, I mean, this and this is the theme that runs throughout the Hebrew Bible, is you were once strangers, you were once foreigners, you were once migrants. Remember that as you become part of this new community and treat those who are strangers or foreigners or migrants in your midst as though they are a part of your community. And so this hospitality to those who might not be 
culturally connected in the same way to the folks who are possessed by the spirit then invites them to consider a similar type of expression and hospitality that they then extend to others you know we start on the outside that doesn't mean we get to we get to run inside and then lock the doors behind us man that's an especially good analogy the more i think about it because that's that's what the disciples do post crucifixion Mm. Right? they're scared and they literally lock lock the doors yeah yeah i'm thankful that this the spirit isn't encapsulated in locked rooms like that yeah i just hope we can continue to recognize ways that we're trying to keep those doors shut yeah yeah me too like we've talked about this before it keeps coming up as one of the major themes in the, the New Testament and the Hebrew Bible. The way that, like, these are diverse, open, welcoming communities. Yeah, it's so, it's so funny because the early church is just like a, like a perfect picture of it, right? And it's like... Too bad we it's so tempting to be like, wow, too bad we messed that up. <laughs> like Sure. Well, I, you know. I also I also wonder but though how holding up this standard makes us pursue an inauthentic expression of what it means to be the church in our particular settings. Cause it, it's not significant that this happened in Jerusalem, which was like a metropolitan area of the time where there was the possibility for this level of diversity this level of migration you know visitors even you know even if this had taken place in a city like bethlehem you know i don't know that there would have been this many people to hear things expressed in their mother tongue and and i think what what that translates to today sometimes is is feeling like you're falling short when your church doesn't have this level of diversity because so much of what's available to us in connection to the church is the product of anti-diversity or segregation or discrimination efforts that go far beyond what the church has done although at times the church has been at least complicit in it if not a really negative actor in those systems you know but like if you're in an all-white neighborhood the people who are part of your church or that's a product of your setting in the same way here yeah. and you need to yeah. con- you need to consider and ask those questions about what happened that brought us to this point but just because you don't have that kind of diversity doesn't necessarily mean a that you can't advocate for it in or beyond your congregation and b that you don't have your own kind of diversity that you need to be aware of whether it's background or class or you know or gender or whatever it may be like the fact that the doors are open to everyone that's that's the point when our communities have been shaped as products of segregation in all sorts of ways it's hard for the church to undo it but we at least need to position ourselves to be welcoming and accepting of everyone to start doing that kind of work I love your point about the diversity that can exist even when congregations might appear to be to lack diversity in one area, right? Like for example, 
in your example was like the, the all white congregation yeah right has diversity in, in many other areas i think that's well taken what matters is not just every type of diversity in each congregation right but then we can have a wider picture of what the church is and that church needs to have diversity yeah in its in its very being right yeah it's like i guess what i'm playing with is the difference between the local and like right and the broader more general church right so we yeah. want the broader more general church to have diversity but we don't need to see that that same diversity in every single localized congregation right i mean and at this time this was the whole thing you know <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah and true and i will say like I, I i'm on board with that and i totally agree and where we need to be careful is settling into that ex- acceptance of we don't you know we don't need to be more diverse because that other congregation down the street exactly like will handle it for us right there are ways there are ways still to live into your identity while also stretching yourself and also encountering difference and also encountering new ways of worship and expressions of praise and expressions of lament and all the other things that are wrapped up in being a community of faith we either put too much pressure on ourselves to be a type of community that we're not or we settle into a type of community that fails to actually keep the doors open for the spirit to do a new work among all the members in a particular community. Hmm. Uh, and either way is not helpful for faithfully following where the spirit may be leading. Yeah. That certainly yeah. feels like something we need to pray about. <laughs> yeah. It's only, I think it's only the spirit that can empower that work. That delicate balance. Yeah. So we pray with me. I love that. Stirring God. At Pentecost, you stir the church to be a diverse body of love. Empower us to lean into our diversity at the local level and beyond. Keep us from complacency. Keep us rooted in the Spirit's ongoing work. And make us attentive to you speaking to us in our mother tongues. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week? Next week, we're going to jump ahead one book in the New Testament to Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it.